0: So I've been consulting now for almost seven years, and I've seen a lot of great consulting work and a lot of, mm, let's call it, not so great consulting work. And I've also talked to a lot of organizations that feel like they want to work with a consultant, but they're not really sure how to find the right consultant, what kind of work that consultant will do, and just it feels sometimes overwhelming or just like, you know trying to trying to do too much with too little and on top of that how consultants can best serve organizations can feel a uh, a little bit daunting and so today's podcast is all about working with consultants i'm your host Cindy Wagman and you're listening to the small nonprofit podcast where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small nonprofit. You are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So today's guest is Jess Campbell, and Jess is the founder and CEO of Out in the Boons and a dear friend of mine, and Jess is a trained nonprofit fundraiser. Uh, She has worked in ginormous and startup organizations. She's really seen the gamut, and she runs a consulting business that is to give nonprofit fundraisers the tools and accountability to raise more money. But in doing that work, she's discovered a little superpower of hers, which is connecting people. And so I think one of her passions is finding the right nonprofit um, support people, the consultants, to help organizations in the way that they need help. So Jess, welcome to the podcast. This is so fun, Cindy. Thanks for having me. It's truly my pleasure and I want to dive right in because we both work like I when I started consulting I feel like there was like here's what a fundraising consultant does right there was this sort of like okay you come in and you give you give organizations a plan or a strategy and that was most of my interaction when I worked in-house most of my interaction with consultants And it's not how things actually are. So I'd love to hear your story of even just building your uh, consulting business and figuring out how you can serve organizations that might not be what we typically think of as work that consultants do. Mm. We have a lot of overlap for sure. So as you mentioned in my
1: intro, I've been a nonprofit fundraiser for the better part of the last 18 years. And I really, really loved my in-house job, and I spent a lot of money on my brain, and I identified as a nonprofit leader and fundraiser. And then I had a baby, and everything I knew to be true flew out the window. And my reality of starting my day with a coffee meeting and ending my day with dinner or drinks with a donor just wasn't the right fit for my new lifestyle. And sadly, I had to leave my organization, which was so um, devastating because it was really shedding a part of my identity that um, I really, really held on to for a long, long time. So I took a minute to just be a new mom. And like so many nonprofit coaches and consultants, I then put out an email to half a dozen people saying, I'm freelancing now. Do you know anyone that would like my services? And an email spread to another person, which led to a phone conversation, which is how I landed my first client. They are my longest running client. I still work with them today. And that evolved into a variety of services. And like you said, your experience working with coaches and consultants when you were in house, I had a very similar experience. They kind of came in they wrote a plan and then they left and i wanted to be more hands on it's not in my nature to you know really set it and forget it as they say and um i think what i've learned in doing this for the last five or so years is that it's so much more than a plan that folks need it's really the execution and um And I know that working with coaches and consultants can be such an investment. And so I kind of, I've committed myself to doing it differently, which is really helping folks not just get the plan, but understand the plan and then have the tools and resources to execute the plan.
0: Hmm. I couldn't agree more. Um, But you also work in like really unique ways, like you have sprints and you actually, work it's not necessarily what we think of as the big fundraising plan like it can be but you've broken that into very specific areas of action can you Mm. talk a little bit about that for sure
1: so I know when I receive information sometimes it's fed to me like a water hose and what happens is I end up not drinking a drop it becomes so overwhelming feel like that about most conferences (laughs) conferences, even um, courses, even even some people, frankly, it's just too much all at one time. And so the way I think of the the modalities that I teach when it comes to fundraising is really as these kind of stepping stones. And so, for example, I have a course called Campaigns That Convert. It really teaches people my framework to successfully running mostly an end-of-year campaign. And it's a lot of information. And I've stepped back and realized, well, what do people need to know before they actually go run this campaign? Well, they probably need to know how to get new donors. They probably need to know how to recruit peer champions. They probably need to know how to ask for match donations. They probably need all the tech tools in place so that automations can flow, right? And so rather than just You know, funneling people straight to the big kind of campaign product, I've worked on teaching these micro steps that will make them successful in the ultimate step. And I think that different people learn differently. And I've had to really sit in what I enjoy doing. So, where I mentioned at the beginning, I did kind of one to one done for you services. About a year ago, I found out that that really drains my energy and I get much more energy when I show up live in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people. So I also have a Raise More Together Summit. I have courses, I have sprint weeks, and it's more energetically fulfilling for me. I show up better. I am better doing that than I am producing you know, one-on-one work for one client at a time. That's just what works for me. And I think that that is an important piece to this puzzle because otherwise I think burnout is, is in your future.
0: Yeah. And like the same is true on the reverse side of that relationship. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how to work with consultants. But I think the first thing is similar to the work that you've done personally, like What energetically do I need? How am I going to solve for my problems? An organization needs to think outside the fundraising strategy box and think, okay, what are the areas where we can invest to actually move the needle? Mm -hmm. And 90% of the time, it's not actually a fundraising strategy for (laughs) five-year fundraising strategy. Mm -hmm. So- can you tell me a little bit about the ways that, because you now have a network uh, and organizations are coming to you. And if it's not you doing the work, you're referring them to people, right? You actually have a, a, a product or a program called the Rolodex, where you are the matchmaker between mm-hmm. organizations and consultants. And so what are some of the ways that organizations have figured out, oh, I need something a little bit different. And what does that look like?
1: hmm so
0: as I said, I host
1: the Raise More Together Summit, which it's we've done three. I've had over 100 nonprofit coaches, consultants teach various material. And what was happening very organically is people were coming to me saying, hey, Jess, do you know a grant writer? Hey, Jess, do you know a copywriter? Hey, Jess, do you know someone who can help me figure out a planned giving strategy? And as I was moving away from one-on-one work, I did. I have access to all of these fantastic nonprofit coaches and consultants. And so I put a product together called the Rolodex, which is various professionals who do various specific things because no one comes to me saying, you know, I need just something very... General, it's usually very, very specific. I want to raise X number of dollars through a sponsorship. I need a new website. I need um, a major gift strategy, and and so I was, I've been able to just very naturally connect people up with their wants and their needs. And what I also know about nonprofit fundraisers and leaders. Is some people do. They just need the plan. They have a team. They have the tools and the resources to go execute on their own. Some people are just getting started and they need to be learning while they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so someone that can walk side by side with them is very, very helpful. Other people... They might know everything, but they're a really small shop. Like I'm sure a lot of people listening in are very small shops. And what they need to do is actually outsource. They need to physically remove to do items from their list. And so it is cost beneficiary for them to, for example, hire out a grant writer versus try and hold that themselves. Other people, they just need to work on their mindset, right? I don't know a fundraiser on this planet. I don't know a human on this planet that doesn't have some money mindset issues, right? And so they need someone to coach them or help keep them accountable. And so while I kind of break down what the needs are, then I'm able to actually produce a very well-recommended person on the service side because I know the skills that those people do so, so, so well. I'm also just a natural connector. I say this all the time. You can't get in a room with me where I'm not recommending a childcare situation to you, a book to you, a restaurant to you. I mean, watch out because it's just how I operate. It's my value add to relationships and conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this part also just comes
0: super natural. Amazing. So when an organization comes to you being like, Jess, we really need some help. What are some of the things that you want them, like, what are some of the things that they have to have thought through in order to best make use of a recommendation or a consultant? Like, what are the answers, what are the questions you have that they need to answer? So sometimes it's very direct. How much do
1: you want to raise and by when do you want to raise it? Other questions I ask are things around retention and mailing lists and open rates because I'm trying to understand the viability of their current community. Mm. Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Do you need to spend time actually warming folks up or are they warm and you can go, right? So some of it's kind of logistical. And then other questions I'm asking are more long-term. You know, where do you want to see your organization in the next 18, 24, 36 months? Um, I asked questions about their flow and I'm using air quotes. So I talked a lot earlier about some things that are my flow, trying to understand their flow, because I think that it is like fitting a, what is the saying, a square peg into a round hole. If you're just constantly trying to compensate for the Mm. things that you're just not naturally gifted at. And so really helping people see that come to that conclusion and, and then hire out or hire up for those um, for those items instead. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, it, it really does range depending on what I'm hearing from the people that are reaching out and why they're yeah. reaching out.
0: Yeah. So a lot of consultants I know have stopped responding to RFPs. Um I'd love to hear about your experiences with, you know, you make a connection or even if an organization's coming to you, like what that process, what an organization should prepare for in terms of a process mm. to actually figure out if, if the consultant is what they need. And like, you know, a lot of organizations do need a competitive process. If, if the scope of work is over a certain amount of money. So how do we leverage the idea of network? Because, you know, all of us like referrals in the sense that I would much, much sooner hire someone who comes from someone I know, like, and trust than a stranger Regardless of the price, but there's a process that organizations need to follow. So, how can we sort of straddle both of those areas? And, you know, what questions should the organization be asking of the nonprofit? How do they navigate that next step process? I love that you bring up this idea of a recommendation. I have a guess
1: that a lot of your listeners are female. And one thing that the data shows us is women, mm-hmm. we love a good recommendation. I tell this story a lot. When my husband and I were first dating, we went to Buenos Aires and we were traveling. And as you know, traveling can be quite a bit of work and you get hungry all of a sudden, and you're in a foreign place. You don't know where to go. Where's the best restaurant? And he would immediately go to He would say, Oh, let's go over there where there was no one sitting. It was completely empty. And I would want to go to the place that was hustling and bustling. Yeah. He'd be like, But that's going to be a two hour wait. And I said, But that's going to be good. And I could tell because of the social credibility of people being there, right? I didn't have to ask anyone to know that those places were good. And us women, we really, really attach ourselves to a good recommendation. So I totally get. I think that's why the Rolodex works so well is because these people that are in the Rolodex are vetted and credible, and I trust them. The other thing that you mentioned is ease. And the one resource we are never getting more of is time. Mm. Not ever, ever, ever. So if you can find a ways to slice through that and not have to put out an RFP with interviews, and all sorts of just, um, I don't want to call it red tape, because sometimes it's totally valid. But it doesn't have to be that way. And so questions then to ask when you do find two or three people, which I always recommend vetting a couple people against themselves, because so much of what I matchmaking, so to speak, is around personality. Mm -hmm. Everyone is good at what they do when they come to me. But are they the right fit personality-wise? Some people need a little bit more tough love. Other people need more sensitive or trauma-informed coaches. Other people like you, Cindy, you have such a background in neuroscience, right? And some people really want all of that data behind the why of why you're teaching them what you teach. And so really matchmaking that I think is really important against other people. I also really think that nonprofits should ask for rec- um references, excuse mm-hmm. me. Because you know, they're they're selling themselves as they should. And it's important for you to go hear about what they've done, what they've not just what they know, but what they've done or what they've been able to help people achieve. And I think that you can do that over email. I don't think you need to spend a little, lot of time setting up calls and setting up interviews but asking three or five questions, you know, on a scale of one to 10 type of questions, A, B, C, D type answers. um, And then straight up, would you recommend this person for us to work on project A, B, or C? And I think a combination of all of that, after you have a really warm referral is the smoothest pathway to finding a right match the first time around.
0: Mm, Love that. And I, I just want to sort of reiterate again, that, a lot of the ways to work with consultants now is not just the like, here's our scope of work and da da da. Like you, I mean, I, I have an online instruction program. You have, I love your sprints and like the work that you do with with organizations. And so you're not always comparing apples to apples, mm-hmm. right? That's the one thing that I think. I don't want to say it's like irritated me a little bit, but like very often I see organizations have a very defined scope of work that often as a small organization, they're copying what they see a big organization do and they're just flat out kind of on the right wrong path. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to say anything more rude than that, but I could. Uh, They're just, and oftentimes it's going to lead to just a waste of money. And so I think for the organizations listening, like think about, what it is you actually need to get done and and I think, to Jess's point, like earlier in the conversation, you said like how how do you, as an organization work to get that done? What are the ways you can fill in the gaps that might look super different than what we traditionally think of as consulting? I just that is one thing, uh, and like keeping that in mind as you talk to different providers, they all Each consultant has a different way of working. Mm -hmm. What works for your organization and your personal work style, Mm -hmm. I think is such a big one. Your personal work style in your team,
1: especially for small organizations, I really want to encourage you to listen to what Cindy just said, because what works for organizations at midsize or large size is just not going to be the right fit for you. And so to really analyze What do you want out of this? And if it's a thought partner, if it's a coach, that is a very different product than a 20 page annual report, which is also a totally valid end product. But if that's just going to sit on the shelf because you don't have any team members to help you execute it, it's probably going to be a waste of money. So, just really having a true conversation with yourself about what your expectations and needs are is. Is such a critical piece to making this work for any party.
0: Yeah, and that's the driver on how you evaluate the different proposals because different. You might have the same outcome, but different ways of working. Like, find the one that works for you, regardless. Like, there's not a huge price differential in our sector. I don't think Um, it's much, much more important to to test for fit and outcomes than than budget. I'll also say.
1: I hope that people listening aren't intimidated to ask for what they need, because there are people out there that do work for three hours, five hours, 10 hours a week. Not every single coaching consultant is a five or six figure investment. There are people that will work with you at your budget. And I can say that with sincerity because I match people up every day, every single day I get a request, just you, Noah. And I feel so grateful that I have a vast network of saying, yes, I want to recommend you to this person. And this is roughly what it'll cost you. Yeah.
0: And to that point, know your budget. That's the other thing. And I, I also work with a lot of consultants and, you know, I don't know why, we all feel, well, I know what, we never want to talk about money as consultants and as organizations. We like hold that card really close to our chest and it does nothing for us. I always say one of the first questions I ask is what's your budget? Because as a consultant, I'm going to recommend a budget aligned solution to your problem. Because there, as you know, there are so many different approaches. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like, what let's talk a little bit more about budget because there's yeah. a huge range um do org, do the organizations coming to you, do they typically know what their budget is are they feeling lost there like <laughs> how do they yeah, figure that out that's
1: a, that's a really good question because i do find that organizations haven't thought through that as much as it would be helpful in the initial conversation because When they find out that, yes, it does indeed cost money, Mm -hmm. then there's a set of approvals that they have to get from either their leadership team or board of directors, et cetera. And it ranges, right? People sometimes look at my prices and they're like, whoa, you know, they chop that up against an hourly rate. And what they don't know, though, is that I'm fast. So what I can do in two hours will literally take you two weeks. And, and so that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the outcome, not the hour by hour, you know, rate or whatever. Um, And so really getting comfortable, you know, if you, for example, me, I'm at a place where I don't need to learn as much, but I need someone that's going to make sure that I do what I say I'm going to do. And so I'm generally paying for a coach or accountability of time. Again, time is the one resource no one is getting more of. So that's a premium rate versus something that's like, of course, that's some more on autopilot. You know, yeah. that's already been created. You can consume it at any time you want. The information is still wonderful, um, but it doesn't require any live support. Um, I think you just have to think through those things a little bit more. And also know that you can break things down into bite-sized pieces, wow. you know, phase one, phase two, phase three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, I mean, it's interesting. There, There's so many different ways that consultants can work with you. The more you're upfront about those things, the more you will find the right one. So like you mentioned phase one, phase two, phase three, a lot of times when we work with clients, we don't have that option. And maybe we're, maybe that's great for some organizations. We work on 12 month contracts. Like, That is a very specific outcome we're working towards, which is fundraising implementation. But sometimes an organization truly just needs to start with phase one. And so if you know that as an organization, I will flat out tell you, not only am I not the right consultant, but, oh, hey, I know this person who does work that way. And you should connect with them. Uh, Or if I don't know someone, I'll be like, hey, talk to my friend Jess. She knows everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Not everyone, but I'm on my way. Yeah. So I think the more reflection organizations can do in advance to really um, think about what's going to move the needle for them and what like There's no benefit to holding back information. Just share. Mm -hmm. None of the consultants I know are there to like, you know, milk an organization for all they're worth. They want to do good and they want to help you. And knowing a budget can make a really big difference between what, like how useful their proposal is to you.
1: From the beginning.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you have any pet peeves (laughs) that come up? in talking to either consultants or organizations. Mm -hmm. I I will share mine when you're done, unless you might even have it. But um, I definitely get asked a lot of the same questions that are based on myths that are sort of perpetuated in our sector and in our society around this work. And, you know, I do spend a lot of time debunking those myths. So what are Mm -hmm. some of the things that come up uh, for you in talking to people, uh, that you're just like, if you could know anything before you hop on a call with a consultant, here's what I want you to know.
1: Well, what I was going to say, a biggest pet peeve is I see small organizations trying to do it all themselves Mm. or, or one person or two person team trying to do it all. And I wish that people realize that there's no trophies for burnout. You don't get a gold star for that and i think that if people got more comfortable with hiring out the things that are either not the best use of their time or the things that are just not their natural flow let's just use an example let's say as a as a nonprofit leader or fundraiser you are a people person you are so good at meeting people and networking and having relationships be built if that is you, you should not be doing data entry, you should not be writing a grant, you should not be pulling together board reports. You know, you should be out meeting the people, being in relationship, having all the breakfast, lunch, dinner meetings you can possibly have, right? And you should outsource almost everything else. Mm. On the consultant side, sometimes what I see is a lot of language around what they do and I'm constantly asking them tell it to me like I'm in What third does that grade. mean? Yeah. Just tell it to me like I'm in 3rd grade. And because that's again what people are asking me for. They're mm-hmm. not asking me for fancy language, pie in the sky. No, they just want to know what can you do for them specifically and and really stripping back the language I think would be really helpful. You know, I always tell my clients, clear over clever every day of the week. Just say what it is that you do
0: for people. A hundred percent. And oftentimes as fundraisers, we kind of know that, but then we we don't apply it to our businesses. So yeah. You want to know mine? My pet (laughs) peeves? Of course. Working with small organizations, I often get asked, like, can you do this for free? Or um can you work on commission? Mm. And there is, I don't know where this started. I mean, we can talk about the idea of working for free as being a broader societal issue with the not valuing our sectors work enough. But the commission piece is super interesting. And, you know, I know that a lot of people like it it often comes from boards where they're from the for-profit world and they don't understand fundraising and that we've all like in fundraising been taught that commission is basically unethical um whether or not you agree with it like most professional fundraisers will not work on commission um but yeah like i have you encountered that what would you want people to uh to know if they uh ask that So I do, I do get asked that a
1: lot and I'm pretty direct in that I don't work for free. I also have a ton of tools and resources that people can get for free. So I'm able to point them in that direction. I'm always telling my clients, my goal, my job is to, for the things that I do for clients is to take every single thing off of your plate except making the ask because at the end of the day you don't want me to be the person building relationships with your donors cuz I'm going to leave you know what i mean <laughs> and people give money to people and so i try and think through what can i remove from your plate so that you have the space both mentally and in your calendar to go out and build relationships that's how i work um but i think having a place of value add and also being able to tell people a starting price of what it costs to work with me so that people who are really committed to wanting to work with me can save up for that or go to their board of directors and say, I want to work with Jess Campbell and it's going to cost, you know, a minimum of $3,000 to start working with her and then they can go raise that. So I I think parenting around pricing is, is really important. And if you're a nonprofit culture consultant out there, I very, very, very much encourage you to stop doing things for free too.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm 100% on the same page where we've deliberately built programs and products for organizations that are like, I can't afford that 12 month program because it's not cheap. Um, is it effective? hundred percent. Like it is by far one of the most, one of, one of the proudest things I've built. And way less than a staff person. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's not for everyone. I know that. And if an organized, if a consultant is trying to sell you on something that is absolutely out of your budget, or they're trying to convince you of something that you're just like, you're not listening to me. That's a clear Red flag, Red walk flag. away mm-hmm. because most of us either will say to you outright, we're not the right fit right now, or we'll be like, this isn't the right product or program for you, but I have something within your budget that I think, and I, I know you agree, like we've spent a lot of time building things that we think will move the needle for you mm-hmm. um, at a budget. Mm-hmm. And so focus on the, and, and free things too, right? Like the podcast. Yeah. So um, knowing that like you won't necessarily, you shouldn't be getting someone's time for free. And if you do, I'm not sure the, <laughs> the value of, uh, that they're bringing to the table. Um, but, you know, be prepared to have that conversation be like, okay, here's what we can afford and here's what we need. What are some options that start to bridge that gap? for sure. And when people pay,
1: they pay attention. Mm -hmm. I know personally, you know, when I, it's like, it's like the yoga studio, right? They always loop you in with one free class, (laughs) come for the one free class. And I generally go to that and then never come back. And it's kind of the same if you're getting a free consultation, but not paying for the service, what's really keeping you accountable to showing up and
0: doing the work again and again, day in and day out. And I will say like most good consultants I know, like they don't work for free, but you might, some of them in their commitment to equity or social justice might take on one or two clients pro bono, very intentionally aligned with their impact and values. So I don't want to say like never, but make sure that they're not doing like most of their work for free because then um, there's something, there's something out of alignment there. Okay. So yeah. Um, just we're out of time. We literally could talk all day. Um, <laughs> we're, we're friends in real life. So this isn't fair for the class. <laughs> But, um, I, I love what you're doing as uh, a connector in our sector and, you know, good people, I actually come to you for, for connections very often. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners where they can connect with you and, uh, you know, how they can continue on this journey, uh, when they're ready to hire and, and get support from a consultant. Definitely. So if
1: you're interested in the Rolodex, which is like my little black book of nonprofit coaches and consultants, you can visit outintheboons.me backslash the hyphen Rolodex. I like to play on Instagram. I try and show up every weekday. Cindy's laughing because um, I'm not so good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me at Out in the Boons underscore. And if you are searching for your perfect match, I it's free to use the Rolodex. I make matchmaking freely and openly, and it's my favorite thing to do. So come in my DMs, slide in my DMs, and I would love to put you with your hopeful perfect pair. Yeah.
0: And full disclosure, I'm a member of the Rolodex because I love Jess and uh, just want to be part of all the things that she does. So, um, But that doesn't mean that you or I will be connected because if you reach out to Jess and I'm not the right fit, she's going to tell you. So- mm-hmm. Jess, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Cindy. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.